I think just historically, we're living through one of the most innovative times. And maybe everybody says that, you know, depending on when you ask them. But, you know, you, I look at it as if, you know, you have this, these, these fundamentally like historical waves, right? So the internet, the infrastructure got built in the 90s. And then you saw applications of the internet over the next 10 or 15 years. In the last few years, we've seen this massive push around cloud computing. And so what you essentially have is variable expense, low cost, easy to use infrastructure. And you see the rise in the number of computer science degrees and just people interested in building applications. As I look at the next 10 years, I see all this you know, amazing resources available now to all these people who can increasingly use it. The applications in, in our everyday life are going to change. And so you hear a lot of talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence and automation. Look, I'm excited because I see so many of the applications we use today being reinvented because of the power that's available via cloud computing. And machine learning is just one of these tools that people will use to improve. And whether it's self-driving cars or just the business productivity applications or the developer tools that people use, they can all be rethought because they can be offered as a service with all this augmented power. Welcome to The Syndicate, the podcast about the investors behind the overnight successes. It takes years, it takes money. On this show, we interview the top angel investors, venture capitalists, and startups to share what it really takes to succeed with startup investing. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I'm a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. And I believe startups are the future, and angel investing is the best way to build real, true wealth. To find out more about us, please visit thesyndicate.vc. But now, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome to The Syndicate, the show where we get the world's best investors to share their tips and tricks so you guys can make a ton of money helping awesome startups scale. Today, we've got one of them, John Veronis on the program. He's founder and managing partner at Unknown VC. Prior to that, he was a partner at Lightspeed, and they've invested in a couple of real interesting companies we're going to talk about a little later. Thanks for coming today, John. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's actually called Unusual Ventures. Unusual? Talk about terrible type. That's I can't even blame that on being dyslexic. I'm just going to have to blame that on something. I think it was the Russian. So Unusual Ventures, what's the deal? That's an unusual name. Yeah, you know, when we raised the fund and uh, told the story, we kept getting the feedback that uh, many of the things we were doing were highly unusual, which uh, really resonated with us. That was part of why we started it in the first place. So we ran with it. What makes you guys or your approach unusual? What's the thesis? Uh, really three things. The first is it started, frankly, with this belief that the venture industry has evolved, particularly in the last decade. It used to be that uh, venture firms did what we call one size fits all. They would invest in the earliest stage you know, concept uh, entrepreneurs. They would invest in growing companies and then kind of later stage growth capital pre-IPO. And now if you look at the market, it's really segmented. So on the far end of the continuum, you, you have a lot of noise around these you know, ultra mega funds like SoftBank and others. I think most of the Vanguard firms of the last 20 years have adopted a, a mega fund model where they're raising close to a billion dollars or more every couple of years. And, and then in the kind of the early stage of the market where you've got the concept entrepreneurs, we now call that the seed stage. And, you know, Jyoti, who's my uh, co-founder and was the, the founder of AppDynamics, both of us believe strongly that that's the hardest part. That's where the entrepreneurs need the most help. And yet most of the VC firms today, especially with these mega funds, they're waiting for companies to demonstrate more traction than they used to. They want to see a million dollars of revenue before they're writing a 15, 20 million dollar series A these days. So we wanted to go back to basics and really focus on building a firm around that seed stage. The second thing is where does the money come from, Matt? After 12 years at Lightspeed, I realized that you know a lot of the funds are raising from sovereign wealth, some of which don't have the best track records when it comes to human rights. 
And so we were very, very deliberate and intentional about where we raise money going almost exclusively after nonprofits. I mean, ultimately, these are the people we're working for. And this is the wealth creation that's happening. We want that money flowing back to children's hospitals, to endowments, to historically black colleges. And we felt like we were in the fortunate position where we could pick who we raised from. And so we did that. And then the third thing was that the firm is half women. We started with that diversity as a fundamental tenant, no compromises. You know, I have three daughters. I grew up with two sisters. I believe diverse teams make better decisions. And so we wanted to build a firm around that from the core. It's interesting about the avoiding the sovereign wealth funds piece. How do you think that provides you guys with a competitive advantage when you're working with startups? So Matt, you, I mean, you've talked to the best entrepreneurs all the time. I, I think the really good ones have a choice, have a choice in who their investment partners are. And we're seeing more and more that these entrepreneurs, they're actually asking us. So, so who are your LPs? Where does the money come from? And when, we, when they see, when they come to our office and they see the pictures of the hospitals or the pennants from the schools, Howard, Morehouse, uh, Spellman, they, they're inspired, you know, because that's where they know the hard work pays off and goes back to those financial aid programs or those research grants. So that, that's why I think it matters. How does a white guy that grew up in Georgia that now lives in California go to Morehouse, Spelman, and these type of these type of colleges and raise money? Ah, uh, man. You know, I'm a hillbilly, uh, rural area, but I did uh, grow up playing soccer, which is one of these interesting sports that brings people of all colors and races together. So that was just what I was used to growing up. And yeah, I'm a 6'3 white guy. And so I ended up at Harvard and Stanford. But I think there were people far more talented that just didn't get the same opportunities. And a few years years ago, I, um, I read Ray Dalio's book, Principles. And uh, he talks about three things you should ask yourself. What do you want? What do you know to be true? And what are you going to do about it? And, you know, when I put unusual together, I said, you know, what I want is meaningful relationships. I know that's a life well lived. I know that to be true. And so what am I going to do about it? And I, you, you just can't take the money with you. It's all about building for others. And we decided that we wanted to focus the firm on kicking everyone's butt, being the best in class venture capital firm. But we wanted to do it and pr provide wealth and opportunity for people that didn't didn't get it and weren't getting access to the asset class. And that's super exciting. I want to I want to rewind a little bit. So we brought up the mega funds, which is basically a result of the two in 20. We see more and more funds getting larger and larger because they can just eat their 2% management fees. Masa and those, his guys are making $2 billion a year, roughly just on management fees. Is it time to reinvent that model? Are we entering an era where the incentives are, are broken? Some of them are getting two and a half, Matt, Ooh. two and a half percent. You know, it's interesting, right? If you talk to LPs, uh, limited partners, you know, they all know that venture capital, actually the median return isn't very good, that it's the highest performing asset class, but only if you're in the best managers. Well, it turns out the best managers also know that too. And so with interest rates as low as they've been, you saw a rush of capital into the highest performing managers. So they raise bigger and bigger funds. And the reality is like, look, it used to be that venture capital, you, the way to make money was when your investors made money. It was the, the carry or the share of the profits. But if you have these enormous funds, then look, you're, you're able to pay yourselves and the team. Uh, and whether the investments turn out well or not, everybody's going to turn out you know, more than fine. And so I, I think it's unfortunately become more of an asset under, under management kind of business. And maybe we should go back to really aligning incentives so that the VCs make money only when the portfolio companies do well. It seems a bit perverse, especially if you look at VCs that have preferential shares. So they're winning over the LPs and they're winning over the, the startups. It's kind of VCs win and then everyone else comes in second. You know, it could turn out that way. 
And that, you're right. I, I, I think we could do things that would be better or more fair. What areas are you most excited about as an investor right now? Oh, there's so much going on. I mean, it's, I think just historically, we're living through one of the most innovative times. And maybe everybody says that, you know, depending on when you ask them. But, you know, you, I look at it as if, you know, you have this, these, these fundamentally like historical waves, right? So the internet, the infrastructure got built in the 90s. And then you saw applications of the internet over the next 10 or 15 years. In the last few years, we've seen this massive push around cloud computing. And so what you essentially have is variable expense, low cost, easy to use infrastructure. And you see the rise in the number of computer science degrees and just people interested in building applications. As I look at the next 10 years, I see all this, you know, amazing resources available now to all these people who can increasingly use it. The applications in, in our everyday life are going to change. And so you hear a lot of talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence and automation. Look, I'm excited because I see so many of the applications we use today being reinvented because of the power that's available via cloud computing. And machine learning is just one of these tools that people will use to improve. And whether it's self-driving cars or just the business productivity applications or the developer tools that people use, they can all be rethought because they can be offered as a service with all this augmented power. I think you could argue that between the 90s to now, it was the era of software, digital. I would argue that we're getting into the area of biotech, where I think the 21st century will be dominated by synthetic biology. Would you say we're beyond the halfway point in terms of when software and SaaS is sexy, or has most of the world already been eaten? Hmm, that's an insightful question. I don't think we're at the halfway point, actually. I, you know, I really think that more and more you realize every company has to be a software company to survive. And you know, we live in the bubble Bay Area, right, where people have been talking like that for years. But I think in the rest of the world, that, that movement is still in, more in its infancy than the halfway point. So I think you'll see a lot of innovative applications and software as a service coming from other parts of the world. And I, yeah, I, so I, I guess I would argue we're not we're not at the halfway point. Maybe maybe the second inning. Even if we are getting there, doesn't it start to slow down on an S curve? Well, it depends, right? I mean, if if you if I drew you a normal distribution curve and the and the the median is just getting you know smart to what's possible, I actually think we're still in the bullwhip acceleration part of the S curve. Spoken like a true optimist. What are <laughs> what what are the, some of the companies you guys have invested in, and what's made you excited about them? So at Unusual Ventures, we focus on enterprise and consumer IT businesses. And so our initial bias, given my background and, and my co-founder's background, we're more enterprise-focused thing. And one of the, you know, the two areas that we've been really focused on are developer tools and enabling enterprises to use the cloud. We feel like now that every company really is a software business, you need a lot of automation as it relates to all the things that go into the development, delivery, and sort of post-mortem when it comes to building software. And so, you know, the same way there's a salesforce.com for sales where you can look at productivity and pipeline and cost, we think that whole world and the software development tool chain is, is ripe for uh, innovation. So we spent some time focused there. What do you think about the Microsoft acquisition of GitHub? And oh, it's mean? exciting. Yeah. And like recently they announced uh, Get Actions, which is a way to use uh, I always thought of GitHub, the source code repository is a parking garage for code. But increasingly, you'll see the ability to create functionality on top of GitHub. And they even talked about potentially allowing developers to create actions that they could monetize themselves so other people could leverage on top of GitHub. I think that's really clever and will accelerate innovation in the space. Like API as a service? 
API service or even like a AWS has Lambda, you'll see actions that are you can use on top of GitHub that developers could, as opposed to reinventing the wheel, they can just use functions that other people have, have put together and, and they're happy to pay for. So we were talking about this a little bit before, but how do you see investing outside of the Valley? We were talking about Atlanta, Georgia Tech. We were talking about different tech hubs and how there doesn't seem to be as much focus, but there seems to be a lot of talent. I'm excited about it. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to doing more investments outside of the Bay Area. I think not just in the United States, you know, you, you have your classic innovation centers that are around really strong engineering universities like Atlanta, like Massachusetts, like down in Texas. Now we're seeing the children of, you know, people out of Amazon and up in Seattle. Uh, there's little pockets of innovation happening. And that's the other power of cloud, right? Every It's all available anywhere. But I also think in, in Europe and obviously in China and India, you're seeing not just like fast follower companies, but actually innovative companies. And so at Unusual, we are definitely uh, working hard to, to be in those geographies because we'd like to see you know, some part of our portfolio you know, outside of the Bay Area. I just wanted to take a quick time out to tell you that the Syndicate Podcast comes to you from yours truly, Matt Ward, has no ads and is designed to help angel investors and tech startups succeed. We don't monetize. I do this 100% out of the goodness of my heart and the beautiful networking opportunities to get to chit chat with some of the smartest, best angels and VCs around the globe and to help you guys. If you appreciate this, tell an angel or VC about us, refer us to a startup, or even leave a review. If you go to the syndicate.vc slash iTunes, I know it's clunky, it's terrible, but if you leave a review in there, it really helps us with reaching more angel investors and making the program as awesome as possible. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, get some more inside information, get access to our 20-step investor checklist, and get invites into all of our roundtables, including cryptocurrency, artificial intelligence, consumer tech with Tim O'Reilly, and more, go to the syndicate.vc. If you go there, subscribe, get on our email list, you'll get all of our best content delivered to you completely for free, right to your email address. If you like this podcast and want more like it, thesyndicate.vc. Now, let's get on with our podcast. If you had to, if you had to bet on the returns for the next 30 years, would you pick the US or China? Are you asking as it relates to just pure startup tech? Just pure startup tech. Let's say you could be Chinese and be investing over there versus investing over here in terms of total value creation. I wouldn't necessarily think about exits because exits are a little harder in China, but overall value yeah. creation. Yeah. I mean, you have a market that's almost, what, eight times the size in terms of people and, and infancy. I mean, China has more of the raw ingredients. So I, I guess I would say China. Okay. Interesting. Have you been? Yeah, I've been a few times. I went first in 2005 uh, when I was at Stanford for, for business school and, and it's it's changed a lot in uh, you know 12 13 years so you know we're focused primarily in the US uh, I think there's plenty of opportunity here but I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity for funds that are focused in China as well what's overhyped these days crypto Bitcoin okay I mean yeah. I, I think it's it's great for speculative investing but I think this whole notion of uh, entire funds built around crypto I think that's overblown okay I think we're definitely the question is basically what's going to happen next because we had a ridiculous hype cycle almost all of it was junk some of it was legitimately interesting and now we're kind of in the trough the question is do we move towards an era where we have more transparent equitable monetary value or does it become so i mean because if you think about the future the future is going to be a digital currency of some kind the question is just is it owned by the us or owned by the people so are you you're bullish on it i i'm both bullish and bearish i think there'll be 
certain applications that will be very interesting. So like for one, there's basically three value. There's three controls of government. There's money, there's force. Essentially, they have a monopoly on force. And there's infrastructure, what they do for good. I think you could argue in a lot of, you could argue definitely in the US, they have money and force, but they don't do a hell of a lot of good. If you took away the money, the question would be what happens to the country? If you only have a gun held to your head, do you still remain a part of that country? I think it's interesting in looking at the fact that I think governments of the future will need to change drastically because they become larger and larger like mega corporations versus smaller and leaner like startups. So are you an investor in, in Bitcoin? And- oh, they're very, very small. I might have like 100, 200 bucks. And that's because I bought it and now have the wallets installed and don't feel like doing anything with it. It's kind of, uh, it. we'll see, but it'll never be anything. I, I'm, yeah, I'm bullish on some of the ideas, but I think that that said, ideas become corrupted and they've certainly become corrupted in blockchain. Mm. We'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see. see. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. What about, a, what about a 10 or 20 year technology that you're most excited about? It isn't quite ready yet, but something that will be transformation. Well, you, I, you mentioned one. I, I think uh, there, I really have two in my mind. One, one is uh, synthetic biology, right? I mean, how, how will you use personalized medicine, the power of AI to impact medicine? The problem is, I think in some ways it's a good one. We need to be careful about how quickly we, we embrace uh, things that we've you know, put into humans. Um, but I think as a, as a transformative tech, it's one of the most interesting things you'll probably see over the next century. Um, and then quantum computing is really the a second that, you know, we've been talking about it for quite some time, but, you know, I, there are some pretty interesting breakthroughs that have happened just in recent years. Um, and as I look out over the next 10 or 20 years, I, I think it's definitely something that could be highly impactful. Definitely. I recently had Eric Ladzinski, the founder of D-Wave, have raised $230 oh, million. Yeah, he was on, if you guys go to fringe.fm, you can learn. I've never really had a good explanation of quantum computing. So I, I have a very strong base, uh, basis in, in the physics side of things, but really understanding how it works. But he broke it down really well on a, on a podcast I did, just understanding the true implications of essentially continuous simultaneous simulation. You can do mm. a heck of a lot with, uh, with quantum computing. It's, uh, it's interesting. Say it again. Where, where, where is that podcast? I'd love to hear it. If you, if you go to Fringe FM, you can just search quantum. And he basically, okay. he basically breaks it down, but he uses metaphors that everyday people can understand. So you go into a library with a million books, you've got to find the book. What's the fastest way to find the book? You clone yourself a million times, you each look at a different book. Now, if the windows are open, each of you might get distracted by the pretty girl outside. And that's when, the, that's when essentially you become entangled with the environment. But if you don't become entangled with the environment, you can keep a thousand of, a million of you looking and find the book and then become that one. It, it, you'd have to listen to it because I can't explain it quite as well as he did, but it was very, very interesting. And I, I recommend people check that out if they're interested in quantum computing. I'm very Yeah, you're, you're underselling yourself. That was pretty good. I mean, you, you, we definitely need Stephen Hawking type people who can take the ultra complex and actually boil it down for us, you know, mere mortals and understand it. God, what would have happened if he hadn't lost almost all functionality? He would have been a god, even and he still <laughs> was a god. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. How do you, what areas outside of investing are you most interested in and how do they affect your day-to-day life? Well, I'm, you know, I'm super passionate about education and, uh, and coaching sports with kids. You know, I, I have three daughters. I was a, a mediocre soccer player once upon a time. So I, I just think sports teaches so much about ourselves and perseverance and, uh, you know, less life lessons that we all need humility working together as a team. So I, 
I spend time doing that. And, uh, you know, I help teach a class over at Stanford. And part of what we built at Unusual is what we call our academy program. Because I find that even whether it's business or business graduate school, a lot of the skills that entrepreneurs really need practically to get their idea from idea to something that's working, they're not being taught anywhere, not in a systemic way. And I think you've seen the rise of some accelerators and different programs. And I think that's terri- those are terrific for entrepreneurship. But I, I, I'm fearful that people try to do what we jokingly call a peanut butter approach. You know, they have cohorts of dozens or hundreds or even thousands in some cases. And every entrepreneur's journey is a custom one. It's, and so you need to, you know, I believe venture capital as an example is a craft. It's, it's, a, it's something that the investor and the entrepreneur work on together closely. And it frankly just doesn't scale because every entrepreneur's journey is unique. And so we've been trying to come up with a way where we could in very small classes, you know, we take eight or nine founders at a time, teach them using people like Joti, like Andy Ratcliffe, like Adam Gray, the core, most critical lessons that they need to do to understand, to get out of the seed stage in a way that their company will be prepared for future growth. Um, so as you can tell, I, I'm really passionate about that. And that's why we built the Unusual Academy. I think it's really important. I think you see the same problems with the YC that you see with VCs. They're incentivized to grow. So they have 7% of a larger number of companies. So they get bigger and bigger, larger and larger cohorts where they basically just have dinner together. And while they're winning, they're only winning because they have the selection bias of the best companies. Amen. I mean, I, for the great companies, that's an exorbitant tax to pay. 7% of your company, sorry, for, for dinner and being part of a cohort and going to demo day, it's ridiculous. But the model is that they just want the successful one to pay for all the rest. And, you know, it's really, Ron Conway pioneered this years and years ago, right? It's a- Index it's a, Yeah, it's high volume. I just don't believe in it. You know, or at least I'm not passionate about it. I want to work really closely with the entrepreneurs that we choose to get behind and be their concierge. But we want to connect them with the very best who can help them with the tactical problems that they all have to overcome. And that's finding your first few customers and telling your story very well and how to put your fundraising pitch together and how do you hire the best people so that you have the right culture and values? How do you prioritize your time? How do you manage yourself through the ups and downs? I mean, these are the things we have learned over many years are the most critical at the seed stage. And so we built a programmatic content system to try to help entrepreneurs get through this successfully. It'd be interesting if you could have a double accelerator. So YC is more of an incubator than accelerator. Well, it's accelerator in terms of the caliber of companies. If you could have a real accelerator that speeds you up after YC in terms of helping you become a better entrepreneur, a better founder, not just getting money at overly high valuations, then I think they could see even larger success, especially if they worked with just the companies that had the most promise or like the top 60%. I totally agree with you. We, we, we say that YC is a bit like high school or college and we're graduate school or PhD or fellowship. Mm-hmm. What uh, If you could change one thing about the venture industry, what would it be and why? You know, I, 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 it's, I'm torn, frankly, Matt, between the diversity part and the and the, where the money comes from. I, I they're they're equally important to me. I think is it two I sides want my of the same coin? <sighs> no, because here's the thing: with diversity, you have to fundamentally believe that these diverse teams make better decisions. You know, I, I want my daughters to grow up in a world where like, if they want to be venture capitalists, God help them, that they, they, no one bats an eye, right? It's just, it's not a check the box thing. It's like, no, people fundamentally believe that. So I, that's really, um, that's really important to me. And it, I think, well, that diversity mindset in the teams of venture capital firms themselves will actually ripple into backing more untraditional entrepreneurs, right? People of color and different diversity. Like, so I, I want badly for that to happen. And I want to be part of making it happen. But then the second 
second part is like, I, you know, years ago, they, they introduced this Freedom of Information Act. I don't know if you're familiar with this, FOIA. And the idea was that if you take money from public institutions, you have to, they have the ability, they have actually the mandate, they're required to report on the results of your venture firm. So a lot of VCs felt uncomfortable with that. So they stopped taking money from public pension plans or public universities because they were subjected to FOIA, which mean, meant their results could be reported on on a quarterly basis. It drove a lot of the VC firms to go elsewhere. Elsewhere, in a lot of cases, meant sovereign wealth. Now, some sovereign wealth, that's just fine. There's there's wonderful, or even family offices, wonderful you know places to get capital, but some not so much. <laughs> there's some dirty money out there, or money where they have you know negative track records of human rights. That's that's not where we want to be creating wealth for. And so we're equally passionate about that. So if I could change, I can't change one thing. I want to change two. So let's play devil's advocate. Let's say you're, a lot of VC money is coming from the Middle East, an area that, for all intensive purposes, hate women and want to hold them back. It kind of makes sense that you would have poor diversity outcomes if you're not getting that pushed by your LPs versus if you're raising from Morehouse and other areas and they see you're backing 100% white men. Eventually, there's some problems that come up. I, you know what, Matt? I, th- it's, I, I, I love it. I mean, my view is it starts with transparency. Today, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a uh, shielded sort of part of the whole VC industry. I think people should be required to tell you who their, who their LPs are, how much of their funds come from these different places. Why isn't that public knowledge? I, I think people are embarrassed about it. And, and if, as soon as you start with transparency and visibility, then people start talking about it. When people start talking about things, then the change starts to happen. How large Today, is your fund? Oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, it's 160 million. We, we had demand for about a billion, but we kept it at 160 million. You had demand for it was, a billion. Good work. Y- yeah. Well, again, my partner's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Talk to me about talk to me about that. He, uh, You said he founded App Dynamics, which has certainly been successful. Yeah. He's, you know, they sold for uh, just under 4 billion in 2017. You know, we came at this as with complementary skill sets, right? I'm the longtime VC. You know, he's the sort of consummate entrepreneur. And what we try to represent to our, the people we work with is you get the best of both. You know, he's, he's the adamant, like, I am the customer. I, I have been the entrepreneur. I'm the entrepreneur right now. He's building another company, a great company called Harness. All the things that we build at Unusual are meant for entrepreneurs who are going through exactly what he's been through. So, you know, empathy is the most important thing a VC can have. If there's anything that I say here today that matters to people, that, that's the one I would, you know, take home. You got to have an empathetic investor, uh, partner. And so we want that inherent in what everything we do at Unusual. And so he, he brings that to the table. And, you know, I I come at it as someone who's built and been part of a lot of successful businesses. And so what we try to bring to the entrepreneur is the combination of the two things. Do you have a little chip on your shoulder? He's built a $4 billion company. You got to prove it. Oh gosh, not at all. I, uh, you know, I'm very happy to be in the background and, you know, when I chose this career path, it's all about service of others, Matt. I, I, I'm very happy to see Jyoti and people like Jyoti in the spotlight. It, it actually energizes me. It's funny because a lot of VCs say that, but you can kind of tell they're full of shit. You can always read it from people's faces, but we have video here and I, I <laughs> re- reading you, you seem like a pretty nice guy. It's back to the Ray Dalio book, man. I, you know, I look, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've learned a lot. You, you just, you can't take the money or any of the accolades with you. It's, it's honestly, relationships matter. And it's, uh, what can you do for others? I really believe that. And so that's our mindset at Unusual. And everyone here believes it 100%. If life is a race, you get there first. <laughs> what, uh, what is something that you think, or you would like to leave listeners with a quote, a call to action outside 
outside of the stuff we've talked about so far? You know, I had no ambition of starting a venture firm ever. I think sometimes in life, these doors just open, you know, one after the other, and you kind of know that you're meant to be doing something. And so I, I hope that those entrepreneurs out there who are like, oh, I don't know, it seems so hard. Like, do I really want to do this? You know, I would just say, follow your gut and, you know, surround yourself with people that encourage you to take risks. And that includes, you know, ultimately your investors, people who are there to support you, be behind you, because it's kind of a crazy journey, no matter what. But it, there's just nothing better. So, you know, I, I think one of the greatest gifts we have is imagination, which is part of the reason I'm drawn to entrepreneurs. You know, they're, they're there to rewrite kind of the way things are. And, uh, and I just, you know, anything I can do to encourage that, you know, I want to. I think that's especially important today where we need to rewrite a hell of a lot of things to, to fix some big problems in the world. Oh, Matt, you couldn't be more right. I, uh, I try. I try. What uh, Where is the best place for people to find you online, connect and learn a little bit more about you and Unusual? Yeah, I'm John at unusual.vc. I kind of like that when we set it up. And uh, we're unusual, you know, .vc. That's it. Uh, you know, we, we run our academy twice a year. Uh, we have lots of material online about that. They can follow us at unusual underscore VC on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we'd love the support. Is there a perfect time for companies or founders to reach out? No idea is too early, Matt. You know, I, we're, we want to be your partner as an entrepreneur from the earliest days. So, you know, we'll write checks of 50 to 100K upwards of several million dollars. So what we're doing is trying to get people ready for the rocket fuel that's become kind of the norm in these 15, $20 million series A rounds that the mega funds want to write. And that's the reality. They have to. When you raise a billion dollars and you say, they say, oh, we do seed too. It's like, really? You're going to spend time with a company you invested $3 million in? As a responsible adult, shouldn't you be spending time with the company you wrote a $40 million check into? Don't lie to me. Don't tell me you're going to spend equal time and energy on something that, you know, where you wrote 10 times much more money into. I just, entrepreneurs need to get savvy to that. And so there's there's a world of seed investors that are tuned and optimized for that phase. Those are the folks that they should select. And guys, think about the incentives, two and 20. If they're smaller funds, that means they're much more incentivized by the by the carry. They want to make sure you succeed. It's not as much you're something on the on the docket, so to speak. You are you are the prize, not the not the pudding, I guess. That's a that's a terrible metaphor, but we're gonna have to go with pudding. <laughs> Great. That's a perfect way to wrap this up. Thanks for coming today, John. Matt, thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited about what you're doing and I appreciate your, 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 your asking such good questions. And I appreciate what you're doing as well. I think there's some fucked up shit that we need to solve and you guys are doing a good job being unusual. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. We're working and, hard. And not unknown. Cheers. No <laughs> worries. That would be such a terrible VC name. How did I read that wrong? Awesome. Don't worry thanks. about it. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Syndicate, the podcast where angel investors and VCs go off the cuff and discuss the ins and outs of the venture ecosystem. We're here to share the tips and tricks of the best in the business, because startups and tech make the pie bigger. To learn more about us and what we do, visit thesyndicate.vc. And to join our syndicate on AngelList, just go to thesyndicate.vc slash join and get access to some of the best startup deals. This has been another episode of The Syndicate. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again next week.